You're listening to Cutaneous Miscellaneous, the Dermatology Residence Podcast. Number 11. I am thrilled to report that Cutaneous Miscellaneous was just ranked as the number 11 best dermatology podcast by Feedspot, which ranked thousands of podcasts based on web traffic, social media, and freshness. So thank you to all of our loyal listeners and supporters, and we have hundreds of repeat listeners each episode. And I had one goal in starting this podcast, and that goal was to help my fellow dermatology residents and early career dermatology colleagues be the best that they can be in residency and beyond, and I'm so happy this podcast is being recognized for this. So let's spread the word and get it to number one. And I think our guest today is going to help us do that. I'm, of course, talking about Dr. Alex Glazer. So Dr. Glazer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nick. Great to have you here. Do you think you can help us get to one? I'm going to try my best. We'll see what happens. Okay. As long as you try your best, that's all I ask. So I'm really happy to have you here. We're going to talk about some really great things today. Of course, we're going to do board review on amyloidosis. So we'll start that in a second. And then we're going to talk about running an efficient private practice, which is very important, or, or practice in general. Uh, last episode, we talked about starting a practice, but okay, great. You started your practice, but what's the next step, right? You want to run it efficiently. And this is such an important topic because if you run things efficiently, you'll have more time to see more patients and make more money or go home and enjoy your life, which is very important too. So we're going to come up with some really good tips and tricks for that. But let's start off with amyloidosis, okay? I'm going to do a little bit on the systemic amyloidosis. Alex or Dr. Glazer will ask you about the uh, cutaneous amyloidosis. So it's kind of divided into primary and secondary systemic, and it's a little bit tricky, but you want to know the protein. So in primary systemic, this is AL and it can involve several organ systems. And the worst prognosis is if there's cardiac involvement. You see mucocutaneous lesions in about a third of the patients, and it's due to an underlying plasma cell dyscrasia. You're gonna see purpura on the eyelids, neck, anal genital and axillary region, and maybe even macroglossia. And the tongue can get so big that the teeth can kind of indent the tongue. Also with this condition or this uh, amyloidosis, you'll see carpal tunnel syndrome, uh, and it has, a, unfortunately, a poor prognosis. Secondary systemic amyloidosis, this is AA, uh, and this is a sequelae of severe chronic inflammatory diseases like scleroderma, like ankylosing spondylitis, like auto-inflammatory syndromes. It's rare, um, and you're looking for serum amyloid A. Uh, this is the kind of the precursor protein. And of note, you also see this in hemodialysis patients as kind of a secondary amyloidosis as well, but you're going to look for beta-2 microglobulin. And they usually don't have skin findings, but you may see some nodules on the lower back. So you have to know those proteins, AAAL, but obviously the most pertinent in dermatology is the cutaneous amyloidosis. So uh, Dr. Glazer, uh, first one I want to ask about is macular amyloidosis. How is this going to present in the clinic? So most commonly with this, um, it's similar to a notalgia paresthetica appearance, and you get sort of that discoloration, sort of ripple, hyperpigmented spot, and it it looks identical to notalgia and can be in the same location as notalgia commonly. Right. And some people say ripple potato chip look, and I like barbecue potato chips, so my friend likes you know sour cream and onions, whatever one you like, but yet you're, you're right. Kind of this rippled potato chip, salt and pepper uh, overlaps at Notatra Parasthetica. And what's the derivation? Where is this coming from that, that forms these skin lesions? Um, this usually comes from the keratinocyte filaments. Um, I think keratin-5 is the most common. Yep, that's exactly right. Okay, next is lichen amyloidosis. How is this going to present? This is more rippled than the macular. So macular tends to look a little bit smoother. And you basically get these hyperpigmented lichenoid papules and plaques on the extensor surfaces. Most commonly, you'll see it on the shins. 
And this one has a genoderm association. So this one's associated with MEN2A, which is um, a, a board favorite. So I always remembered it as MEN2 amyloid uh, because it was associated with lichen amyloidosis. That's a great pearl. And I actually had a medical student uh, tell me, oh, MEN2A, so only men get this. <laughs> no, women get this too. <laughs> Obviously, we mean men, multiple endocrine neoplasia. Uh, so it's, it was kind of a, a funny story. But you're right, MEN2A, men to amyloid it's a great tip. And then again, what's the derivation here? What are the skin lesions being made up of in this case as well? This one's also keratin-5. Okay, so that's very important. Finally, we have nodular cutaneous amyloid. So how's that going to look? And what's the important point here with what the derivation is? So with these, um, they're sort of yellowish, waxy papules, kind of like a JXG, but bigger and more yellowish than that yellow-orange that a JXG would have. Um, these come from Ig light chains. And the important thing with this is this progresses to systemic amyloidosis somewhat commonly. Okay. Yep. That's the most important point here. And what are some other associated syndromes that we may see or, or other diseases that may be associated with this? Um, this one you can see in scleroderma, you can see in rheumatoid arthritis, basically any rheumatologic uh, condition can, can have nodular amyloidosis associated with it. Right. Okay. Love that. So again, the key is in macular and lichen, the derivation is keratinocytes, usually keratin-5, but in nodular amyloidosis, it's IgG light chains. And histology from macular and lichen, we're going to see amyloid in the papillary dermis. And then for nodular amyloidosis, we're going to see amyloid uh, in reticular dermis and subcutis and in the vessel walls. And Dr. Glazer, I had a patient come into clinic. Her last name was Lloyd. First name was Amy. And I'm still trying to figure out her diagnosis. But I think the things we discussed here are going to be very helpful for me when diagnosing her. So thank you so much for those tips. Of course. All right, let's jump into the main portion of the episode. We're going to talk about officially running a private practice or an academic practice. If you're practicing dermatology or medicine, you're going to be practicing in some capacity and you're going to want to run that practice efficiently. So I know you're in private practice. You also have some hospital affiliations and I know you're an expert when it comes to efficiency in the office. So let's jump right into it. And the first thing I want to ask is about scheduling. So we have new patients we have follow-up patients. We have patients that need procedures, some of them small, some of them large. Uh, patients needing cosmetic procedures. Are there any tips and tricks to scheduling all these different types of interactions? So I think the, the most important thing is that when you first start out in practice, every patient is a new patient. So whether they've been seen in the clinic or not, um, it, you need to schedule out more time for yourself when you first get started because you're building your practice and you're getting to know each of the patients. And the most important thing that you can do for yourself is word of mouth and get referrals from patients, uh, primary care doctors that you uh, that are referring to you and to continue to build your practice. So my recommendation would always be to start with a longer appointment slot than you need. And you can always make adjustments to your template. As you get further and further along, you need to sort of see how things flow for you. So some people need a lot more time with a new patient than a, a return patient. Some return patients are complex, and you need to develop a system for yourself that works for you and that works for your practice to get things to be as efficient as possible. So I always say for difficult patients, I always write on their uh, their sheet when they're checking out VIP, and then my front desk knows that they either get an appointment at the end of the morning or the end of the afternoon so that I have the time so it doesn't cause me to run behind for the rest of the day. 
Yeah, that's, that's a great point. You know, I have a lot of experience taking care of delusions of parasitosis patients. And obviously, those patients take a long time. And we use the term VIP. They get put at the end of the clinic. And if you have to spend an hour with them, okay, not the best situation, but at least it's not disrupting your whole day. So that's a really great tip. How about things like walk-in hours or emergency slots? Do you offer that in your practice? And is that a good idea? Or is that a bad idea because it can get abused? I take whatever walks through the door. So I'm not like most. If someone walks in and they want an appointment, I look at it as, okay, I'm already here. Um, It makes no difference to me. I'm seeing patients. But I always let my front desk know that everyone that's scheduled is going to be prioritized before them. And when we can work them into the schedule, uh, we'll get them in as soon as possible. So I think it helps build up your practice. The problem is once you start doing it, People expect you to do it and people are going to walk in and you're going to get more and more walk-ins. But as long as your template's sort of built out where you have big enough breaks at certain points, you'll always have time to catch up. Um, it, It depends sort of what type of setting you're in. So I work for myself. So every patient I see, I look at as, okay, this is potentially getting my name out there, getting me to be more busy, getting, uh, building my reputation. So I, I see whatever, and I, anyone that calls with an emergency or new or changing lesion, I can get in within a day. And my nurses know as soon as someone says the right words on the, on the line, just get them in and, and we'll work it into the schedule. Yeah, I like how you frame that. Uh, when somebody comes in for a walk-in, we're happy to see you, but of course, we have to prioritize the patients that have appointments, but we'll see you as soon as possible. And I think that can be a really great thing in an efficient practice because if you have a patient needs to come back or they need to come back urgently, if you try to schedule them, you have to have multiple phone calls, multiple interactions with your staff. And then let's say they don't want the appointment. It could cause issues. But of course, in dermatology, sometimes patients come in with the appointment and say, I've been waiting for this appointment and now my rash is gone. Here are the pictures and they're blurry pictures. And then you say, well, how about you come back when the rash recurs? And then they can just come back in as a walk and you can see them and take care of that. You don't have to worry about all the other administrative stuff around that. So, And, and with, the pa- with the patients who have disappearing rashes when they come into clinic, I always say, you can just walk into the clinic and tell them I told you to come in and they're going to hate me for this up at the front desk and my nurses are, but that then you're building rapport and you're building trust and they know that you want to see them back and you want to make sure you get to the bottom of what's going on. And I'll, I'll always make a note at the bottom of my note saying, okay for walk-in so that the front desk doesn't need to come and ask me and say, hey, this person walked in and then they could just throw them onto the schedule. They just know, yeah. So, so I know you work for yourself. So, is your, is your boss a harsh boss or are they a nice boss? Uh, I, I think I'm a good guy. I think uh, <laughs> easy to work with. Okay, that's that's a great quality in a boss. Okay, Doctor Glazer. So the next thing is the patients in the room. Can you give me some tips on how to make that visit go efficiently? So, depending on what you're doing and what type of patient you're seeing, um, it's important to always build rapport. But I have my nurses and medical assistants take a history before I come into the room and give me an idea of what's going on. So for people that are there for a skin check, I always open and ask, is there anything you're concerned about, anything new, growing, bleeding, changing, anything that you want me to focus on? And as soon as I start talking to the patient, I'm examining from the minute I'm there. And I think examining right away and having a conversation while you're examining them uh, helps to speed up the office visit and helps to distract the patient that is pointing at every single spot. What about this? What about that? And if you can talk about their life, if you can talk about anything else, um, 
you have a chance to look everywhere and get an idea of what's important to you. And then at the end, you say, hey, is there anything that I missed or there's anything that you think I need to take a closer look at? And uh, you can say, I've looked and done my my once over, but if there's anything you want me to take a second look at, I'm happy to. And I think that speeds up the office visit. In terms of new psoriasis, new acne, that type of stuff where you need to sit down and be explaining a little bit more pathophysiology-wise and what's going on and why we're picking the treatment, um, it's not always the easiest to examine while you're talking to them. So rashes, stuff like that, you need to get the history first. But I think as soon you as soon as you have an idea of what's going on or your differentials building in your head, you get up, you start examining, and you keep you keep interviewing while you're examining. Yeah, multitasking is so important. And we're so lucky in dermatology. It's like the only field where you do the physical exam first, then take the history, right? And every other field, take the history first. But in dermatology, we lucky we can go and we can take a look and sometimes know the diagnosis in two seconds flat. But as you say, it's good to multitask. Examine a new rash as the patient's telling you about it, and that's going to cut down on time. And let's say you're doing a skin check. Uh, you know, it's great to counsel the patient as you're doing the skin check about sun protection, ABCDs of melanoma, whatever you want to counsel them on. And then you don't have to spend extra time doing that as well. Is that right? Yeah. And the one other thing is a lot of times patients will say, I have photos or I want to show you this or that. If the patient has photos, my nurses ask before I'm in the room and say, do you have any pictures or anything that you want to show the doctor of when things were worse or when things were really bad? And they make sure that everything's pulled up on the phone because I don't need to see pictures of your dog, your kid, <laughs> your whatever, your poke bowl, whatever you ate yesterday. Um, it's always a good, if if they, they're not pulled up, it's always good to build rapport with a patient and say, oh, poke bowl, I love those or whatever. But, right. but it's not how you want to be spending your time sitting there while they pull up a photo. It's so funny. You know, I, I don't have anybody pull the photos up for me. I always have the patient do it in front of me and it takes like five minutes. And you're right vacation, what I ate, my friend's birthday party yesterday. Oh, oh, it's in my email. And you're like sitting there for five minutes. So it's, it's really great to have your staff have them pull that up. So you mentioned having the staff ask the patient what they're here for, getting the photos ready, getting any biopsy results ready. How else do you use your staff, your front desk staff, your MAs, your RNs to, to make you more efficient throughout the day? So my staff are really, really good. I've been teaching them kind of what the common diagnoses we see are. My staff can diagnose tinea versicolor as well as any resident or as well as anyone. They can diagnose routine eczema, stuff like that. So when they come out of the room, they already have a differential or some idea what's going on if something's not real funky. Um, and as they spend more and more time with you, they get to know your routine. So my nurses can do my Accutane start presentation better than I can. And if they see a patient that comes in and I'm in another room or doing a surgery or whatever, and they'll start talking with them. Hey, have you heard of this treatment? Have you done that? And sort of go through the routine with them before I walk in the room. So every once in a while, I'll walk into a room and the nurse will say, oh, they're going to start Accutane. And <laughs> okay, great. That That's easy. You saw that they had scarring acne or bad cystic acne, and you took the initiative, and it really helps me out. And then I can go and give a real truncated routine and get to know the patient um, like that. Um, they know all the counseling. They numb my patients for biopsies. They they do everything to make myself more efficient. But it's important to know how to do everything for yourself too. So if we're running behind and 
there's four patients in rooms and I it's me and two nurses. I know how to do everything that we do in the office. I routinely do biopsies on my own. Um, I can do a note on my own, uh, which I know seems seems like something that that's very boomerish to say, but I, I try not to interact with the medical record system because my time's better used interacting with patients. Um, and I know where how to start biologics, start prior auths, all that type of stuff, just to make the whole practice more efficient. So everyone's time is being used usefully. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a really great point that you're raising. You're, you're the captain of the ship in practice and you have to know how to do everything. And if the bath needs to be clean, if a light bulb needs to be changed, you know, and if you're not busy, you want to go and do that just to, again, make things efficient, make sure everything is running uh, swimmingly. And yeah, sometimes things like Accutane, you know, those visits take a little bit longer, but obviously it's an amazing medication. The most effective thing we've had in the past 40, 50 years for acne, but those visits take a while. So if you can train your staff to do that effectively, that will save a lot of time. So those kind of time sinks, it's good to, good to get some help. How about setting up your practice or your, or your office or your exam rooms, the physical layout? Are there any tips on doing that to increase your efficacy? Um, I would make sure that every exam room's the same. So your gloves are in the same place. Your needles are in the same place. Your surgical equipment's in the same place. When I was setting up my office, uh, some of the rooms were too small. So some of my rooms are flipped. And when I'm in the rooms that are flipped, I'm like walking around like a pigeon with my head cut off. <laughs> I don't know where anything is. And I'm opening every door and cabinet and stuff like that. Um, I think obviously having a chair as well as an exam table because you're going to have people that bring someone with them for visits and having a stool for yourself in every room. Um, sometimes you can go in the room and you don't even need to sit down because patients want to get down to business. But I think having a stool in every room so that you can sit down and let the patient know that you're there and listening to them uh, are the most important things. Okay. Okay. I really like those tips. And, you know, one thing that everyone really does not like part of medicine, a part of dermatology is the patient phone calls, the questions after the visit, the medication refills. I, I didn't understand that, or I'm worried about this, or you didn't ex explain that enough to me. How do you kind of minimize that so you don't deal with those all day long or um, after hours? We have handouts that we give for, for a lot of different things. And um, something that I learned when I was in residency from one of the cosmetic dermatologists that trained us was you don't want to have a big paper handout because that gets folded up and put in someone's pocket. So we try and do everything on a three by five or five by eight index card and you give oh, wow. it to the patient and they can put it in their pocket. So for the routine stuff that I see with frequency, so people that are starting on tretinoin or people that, that are going to get irritated on their skin, um, they get a tretinoin note card and it says, this is what's normal, this is what to expect. Uh, fluorouracil or people that we use amicumab for, um, I say to every single patient, if you come in and your face looks like raw hamburger meat, I'm going to tell you, you look amazing. <laughs> and they get a they get an index card that says this is what's normal this is what's to uh what you can expect and um having people use email rather than phone calls to triage because a lot of stuff can be answered over email and it doesn't lead to 10 other questions rather than uh oh yeah, I, I did that, but I also have this cream and I have a rash that I forgot to show the doctor and this and that. It limits the amount that people are willing to put down and, and ask out of you after a visit. Right. That's a great point you raise about the amount of information because you can give a patient the whole Bologna chapter, right? That'll have every little detail about their disease and treatment, but they're not going to read that and they're going to fold it up and say, "This is I don't want to read these three 
to five pages. I got I've got work to do. But if you give them a little uh, flashcard or a little index card with the key points, I think that'll reduce a lot of phone calls and a lot of questions because you're talking about the most common side effects or the most common issues that patients bring up. Yeah. Okay. Next is let's say you're in a, you're in a busy clinic, you're behind in the clinic, and you have a couple of these patients that you're out the door, and they say, "Oh, by the way, can you look at this?" or I've got a question about that, but but you're running behind. So what do you do? Um, I always sit back down and I talk with the patient about whatever. But when I'm running be- when I'm running more than thirty minutes behind, my nurses kind of know to how to hustle me out of the room. But I think you need to answer every question that the patient has. Um, I'm never a make another appointment type of person. I just think I try and get everything done at the visit. Um, But when I am running behind, I I do look at the schedule and I triage who's being put in a room first. So wart follow-up, acne follow-up, stuff that's going to be quick and in and out. I get them in and out. And then you're apologizing to fewer people for running behind. If you can get some of the people on time. And I think um, looking at the schedule triaging and and sort of seeing, okay, this I can do quickly so I can get the patient in and out of a room and then get the next patient into the room and get the the flow back in order. Um, But I I always answer whatever questions possible. Um, I can try and sort of give a little of that off to the nurses and my nurses can answer a lot of questions or take a little bit more history and offer to come back just so I can catch up sometimes. Yeah, I agree. You know, some people say to the patients, make another appointment. We've discussed a lot today, but I agree with you. Take care of it there. The patient will be happier. You're already there. It's going to have to be taken care of at some point and, you know, there to get, to get care, but be adaptable and be flexible. When you get out of that room, if you have a couple acne patients that you could Take care of quickly, take care of those, and then you're kind of you're, you're back on the schedule. And you may have your nurse do some counseling, or if it's a really long extra question or extra visit, the nurse can come and say, Doctor, we need you. And you say, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, I'm glad I was able to speak with you about this, but this will need another appointment in the future uh, to continue talking about this, even though we discussed a little bit today. Uh, how about any other general tips for an efficient practice, like sticky notes or colored flags to indicate what diagnosis, or if they're ready for a procedure, or if they're ready for a band aid after a biopsy? Um, I think the most important thing is kind of just training the staff that you work with to kind of know your flow, uh, and know what's important to you. I never understood. I, we have the flags on all the rooms, but I look at all the charts that are up and I decide where I'm going to go regardless of where they are. Um, I think something that's important is sometimes you'll have a patient that shows up 40 minutes early and you have a room open, so they'll put them in a room but you have three other patients that show up after that that are still on time. So I think sort of looking at stuff and saying, okay, well, this is a, this is a 10 o'clock and that's a 1045 that showed up early and seeing the patients in somewhat of an order because you can't complain that you showed up early and were seen on time. Awesome. Dr. Glazer, almost out of time. And Again, we had another amazing episode. Uh, we so appreciate all your tips. I know you're so efficient in clinic. You were so efficient on this episode. You wasted no words and you gave us so many high yield tips that the residents can use tomorrow and in their practice. And we always end with one personal question. I know you did training in Arizona and I love Arizona. I was in Scottsdale last year and I just love the desert and the Mexican food and like playing golf. Scottsdale's a great golf mecca. And we started at six in the morning. It was 100 degrees. And by the time we were done at 10 a.m., it was 110 degrees. Very, very hot. But I want to ask you, you know, just tell me about living in Arizona, what you enjoyed and uh, things that you, you liked about uh, about living there and training there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Proud U of A alum. Go Wildcats. Um, spent three years in Tucson. We had a really, really good time when we were living out there. Um, excellent food, excellent hiking. Uh, it's sunny every single day, um, which as a dermatologist isn't isn't always the favorite thing. But I think from a mood perspective, having nice weather every day is unbelievable. I'm in the Midwest now, so I brave winter for eight months a year to have four months that are sometimes good, sometimes bad. So um, living somewhere where it's just nice year round and sunny year round was something that was awesome and just getting to see a different part of the country. Um, so I, I think I always encourage people that are going to medical school, fellowship, whatever, to go somewhere where they've never been and give it a, a try So because you really get to see a different part of the country and experience it living there with a defined end date. So if you hate it, you can go back to wherever you want to be. Um, it's three years, four years, one year, whatever. And I think it's just cool to get to see a different part of the country and experience a different culture. Yeah, totally agree. I did uh, two years of a psoriasis research fellowship at UCSF in San Francisco, and I had two years there with an end date. And I just knew that I had two years to explore, enjoy. Uh, and I knew I was coming back to the East Coast where I grew up and where I wanted to be. So I took advantage and it was a very special time in my life and encourage all people if they have the opportunity to pursue that as well. So again, Dr. Glazer, thank you so much. Thanks for chatting with me. We got some great tips here and really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Nick.